be finishing up 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. And uh, time permits, we're going to get into chapter 9 a little bit. And uh, last week we ended at uh, approximately at verse 13, so that's where we're going to pick it up today. Um, I'll just uh, begin, we'll open in a word of prayer, and I'll begin by reading through the end of the chapters to start with, and uh, we'll go from there. All right, Lord, I thank you for today again. Lord, I just give you praise for your love for us. I thank you for providing, uh, Lord, in so many different ways for us. And sometimes, Lord, it's easy for, uh, for us to think that it might be coincidence, but Lord, we know that, that you already know every challenge and every trial that we're ever going to face, um, whether it be financial, uh, spiritual, physical, um, Lord, and all of the, the possible ways that trials uh, that you allow them to come. And so, Lord, I just pray that today um, we would be able to take away uh, what it is that you want to teach us through this message. And, Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we start in verse 13, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 13, um, Paul writes, it's our desire or excuse me, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be a quality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and in honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. So in verses 13 through 15, um, the a guiding principle for the material exchange that takes place among churches uh, is equality. Okay, and so if you if you back up a couple of weeks ago, as as we were discussing how Paul took the the Philippian church and the Macedonian churches, and he kind of set them up and said, "Wow, what an example 
Um, if we back up to verse 8 of chapter 8, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnest, earnestness of others. So it's not a command for them to live below poverty. Okay, but Paul is elevating them as the example of the desire of their heart to see the gospel message go forward. And it was never expected of them to give as much as they gave. But Paul didn't deny them that privilege because they were so burdened for the gospel message going forward and he was able to use them as an example. And so he's not wanting some you know, some church to have relief while the Corinthians are hard-pressed. He's not coming to them saying, you need to be like the Macedonian churches and give till it hurts. But what he is explaining is that the command is, like what it was in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, when people sold their property and, and, and there were people that didn't go without their needs being met because they were all together and they had everything in common. And so um, when you read that, there are some people that even will take that to an extreme today and say, well, all the Christians should live in a building altogether and we should share everything, you know, share uh, discipline of our children. You know, you, you watch our children, we fix this, you fix that. And, 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 and you know, I don't, I don't say that that is something that is sinful or, or, or shouldn't be done, but that's not what Paul is shooting for here. Um, what he is describing is each family give according to what God has apportioned them. And as a body of believers, they need to have the money together and ready to cheerfully give it to Paul and his um, uh, co-workers as they come and minister to those people and then go on to Jerusalem and minister to the people that at this point in time are going through famine. They're suffering. And so what's that a picture of today? How would you describe that if you could describe it in one word? I'll give you a hint. Ecuador, NIU, um, excuse me, huh? Missions, yes. So Paul is going around and he's taking or accepting gifts and giving from, from other churches and the Jerusalem church, the Jews in, in, in Jerusalem, are an extension from the gospel message that is taking place in all of these other churches. That extension is going to meet the needs of other people who are like-minded believers and following the same Jesus Christ, following the same message and obeying it in a trial. And Paul is explaining here, the day is going to come when the roles are going to be reversed and you are going to receive from them uh, or you'll receive from somewhere else because that's that's how God works in blessing people and so I like the way he starts chapter 8 is he says I want you to understand the in verse 1 and 2 he says I want you to understand the grace that God gives that gave the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity and he goes on to say that they gave beyond what they were able to give. And the order of events that happened that led to their generosity was they gave themselves to the Lord first. And when they gave themselves to the Lord, they understood the grace 
that brings salvation that has appeared to all men. Titus 2, 11 through 13. The grace that, that brings salvation has appeared to everyone and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live soberly and righteously and godly while we look for the, sec- the, the return of Jesus Christ, while we look for the, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so they, as they understood that, Paul's probably looking at them going, you should be recipients. They're going, no, 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 no. (laughs) We want to give here. And then they're going around and they're going, and they're saying to their own families, we're not giving enough. What Jesus gave is so much more than us having food on the table for today. You know, I don't read anywhere in the Bible from the time that they got up from the last Passover till the time Jesus was crucified, that he had anything to eat or drink. You know, and I think about that sometimes. And I'm just just overwhelmed with what he did give up. And and the more I read the story, the more I hear it told, there's little things that come to mind that I didn't know or understand before. And and I'm just, wow. You know, we're approaching Easter uh, in a few weeks here. And... It's just overwhelming. And so he describes the heart of the Macedonian churches to the churches in Corinth. And he's saying, okay, now it's a year later. And so um, verses 16 through 21, he says, Thanks be to God who put in the heart. Um, oh, let me back up just a little bit because I, wanna, I wanted to point something else out that I forgot about. Uh, in verse 15, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Does anybody know where that story comes from? Let's look at Exodus 16. Paul here is reminding them of the wilderness and the provision that was made by God for them while they were in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 16, and we'll start reading. What's that? Okay, that's a little ahead of where I was going to read because the whole passage is about that, but we'll read verse 4 and then we'll read, go jump down to 15. In verse 4, he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to put out, go out each day and gather enough for that day, and in this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Okay, now if you jump down to verse 15 and we read through verse 20. um, When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses told them, he says to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person that you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell So Moses was angry with them. Okay, so they're very clearly saying they went against 
what God said in verse 5, and God said, I'm going to test them to see if they're going to listen to what I say, and they failed. They didn't. And so here's the cool thing, or the part that I thought was really cool is the next day, it's all rotten. It's, it's nasty. Well, in the next couple of verses, uh, we'll just read on a little bit farther. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, verse 21, uh, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away, verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. <laughs> he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. They saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Obe obedience. And Omer, I don't remember exact the measurement, but it's... It's a part of how much? It's about a quart. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so they they so they gathered, you know, an omer for each person. So you got, you know, you guys have three in your family at home right now. You know, you would take three. And on uh, on Friday, you would take six. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it's, if it, is it a weight then, or is it a? Okay. Okay. But the point is, is that God demonstrates faithfulness when people obey what he says. And so when God tells them, it's going to come every day, don't gather more than what you need. This, Paul is using this principle with the Corinthians, in their level of giving, he's, he's explaining to them that if God gives you a, 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 a de amount or a, a, a level of giving that he wants you at, obey that and don't look at the circumstances around the obedience to determine whether or not you're going to follow him or not. Because when he says he gave grace to the Macedonian churches, the Macedonian churches weren't going, they weren't looking at it saying, Lord, I'm going to give to you uh, I hope you're going to be faithful to us. They were taking the gospel message and they were pushing it forward going, this needs to go beyond here at no matter what the cost is. And so the attitude is what Paul is really pounding home with the Corinthians. And he's not saying to them, you need to give till, you're, till you have nothing left to give. But he is saying is that when you see I have this and a person over here needs it and I can do without it and God has showed me that, obey and then grace is dispensed and so another picture of that is in second or uh, first kings um i i just i ran across this story uh it's been years um years since i had read it i think it's first kings let me uh i think i forgot to put it in my notes um it's around seven Yes, First Kings seventeen. Um, we're going to go ahead and we'll just skim through most of the chapter real quick. This is a this is an awesome story about the face, faithfulness of God as well. Um, this is now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, 
as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I will uh, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf of bread. Uh, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word the Lord had uh, the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Do you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched out himself on, a, on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, my God, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him his, to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. And so in this story, what's that? That's a good question. This is what I do know. Had she not listened to Elijah at the first conversation and did what he said, I'm convinced that what she believed about her life would have came true. In other words, she would have gathered the sticks, she would have went home, she would have made her and her son's final meal, 
and they would have died. Right. <laughs> right. Don't you love that? <laughs> God's got a plan for your life, but he doesn't always let you in on it right away. <laughs> but yeah, and, and, and the picture of it is just so overwhelming that as we read about the grace that was given to the Macedonian churches, the story of this widow being obedient to what God told Elijah and what she was being told through Elijah, she says, you know what, whatever you say, I will do. And when that happens, grace. And we've got this, this confused idea that, that grace has to come first because we, we, we look at New Testament and we look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and we say that we're saved by grace. And we want to just cling to that and say there's nothing required of me. But the reality is, is if you continue to read verse 10 and you read Titus 2, 11 through 13, and you read Peter uh, everywhere, it's leading. The grace that brings salvation leads to works to obey Christ, not for the sake of keeping yourself saved, but as a display, just like what we read here, for the woman's eyes to be open and say, that's the God of this universe. That's the creator. And in Paul's life, in, in the New Testament, people are looking at Jesus going, that's the Messiah. He's the one we will serve. He's the one that we need to follow. He's the one that we need to obey. <clears throat> and so, even in that passage in 2 Corinthians, if we go back there, um, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit. But if we look in chapter 9, starting in verse 10, he says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. This is not material harvest. This is spiritual harvest. This is uh, reward in heaven as well. So he says, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us... Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's the goal. And if you jump down a verse or two, um, let's see. Let's just go to verse, uh, well, let's just keep reading. Verse 12, 13, all of them have, have the same overarching uh, picture here. This service that you perform is not only su supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for, your, for their hearts, excuse me, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So what he's asking them, the indescribable gift is, first of all, what's the indescribable gift that, that's going forward? Okay, the gospel message, through grace through the gospel message. And so what he's, he started chapter 8 with, I want you to understand the grace that God gave the Macedonian churches so that as God lays it on your heart to give and you step into obedience going, I don't know how this is going to work out, but God said to do this, 
then you begin to see the grace that is, a, that is dispensed on your life as a result of your obedience, just like the Macedonian churches. And so, again, I go back to a lot of people will <clears throat> pick this up and run with it, saying that it's, a, that it's a prosperity gospel. That's not at all what it's talking about, because he ends it with the indescribable gift. It's the gospel message that's going forward. And so even if it does end in, in result in a little bit of a hardship financially, the contentment is in the reward that we know is waiting in heaven as a result of obedience. And so that's the true grace that comes. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's, an important, that's an important picture, and how that is learned is, is in previous chapters in 2 Corinthians. That's a, that's a good point to make. Paul says, you know how I lived when I was with you. I didn't take anything from you. And everything that was, I needed was supplied by my own work or by the work of the people in the previous cities that I was in. So the first time Paul came to Corinth, where had he been? He had been Troy, or uh, he had been over, ah, what's the name of the town? He'd been over here and he saw a vision. He says, come over to the Macedonian churches. Please come help us. Come share the gospel. And so Paul goes to the Macedonian churches. He goes to Philippi. He goes to Berea, Thessalonica. And he's, he's ministering to all these things. He suffers severe persecution, and he sees the, the poverty that's there uh, or the level of, of, you know, class of living that's there. And then he gets on a ship with Luke, and they sail down to Achaia, which is Greece. And they go to, to Athens, and they go to Corinth. Okay? And so as he's in Athens and Corinth, the churches from Macedonia that he's talking about right now have already sent... They're sending gifts right behind him. They're going, we want to share in this. And so Paul, um, as we read last week, if we back up to verse uh, 6, in chapter 8, he says, We urge Titus, just as he had, an early, had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, and since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in a complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled into you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. Um, in, this, in this passage, he makes mention that that happened a year ago. That was a year previous. And now he's saying, make sure you follow through with what you started. And so he has sent Titus, because Titus already has this relationship with them, Paul has boasted to the Macedonian churches about how Corinth did last year, how they gave. And he's like, man, I'm so excited about what they're going to do this year. And he's, he's boasted to them, and he's going, they have, a, they have a little bit of a reputation of starting out well and finishing like a... So he sends Titus, and there's two other brothers that are described in chapter 8. He's saying the brother, and then he says our brother. These are two different people. Our brother uh, is believed, and they're, they're purposely left nameless, but they are faithful to the gospel message. When Paul says our brother, 
um, it's somebody who's traveled with them. And then there's the other one is possibly one from a Macedonian church that Paul had bragged to or boasted to about the people in Corinth. And so what's Titus's responsibility as he goes there? Is he's there to set up and, and, and um, establish a revival. He goes there to, to remind them of what they did the, the year before and say, keep going. So that when Paul shows up, Paul shows up with, the, with some other people. He says there's a possibility, uh, chapter 9, in verses 1 and 2, he says there's no need for me to write to you about the service to the Lord's people, referring to Jerusalem, the churches in Jerusalem. But in verse 2, he says, for I know your eagerness is to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them this, that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm had stirred most of them into action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not be proved hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it would be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. And he goes on to say that God loves a cheerful giver um, after that. And so Titus goes with the purpose. And, and the cool thing about this whole thing is, is, is we read as we read in chapter 8, Paul comes to Titus and he goes, hey, uh, do you think you could head over to Corinth and, and get this going? And, and <laughs> Titus's response, I'm already on it. He's already been moving in that direction. The Lord's already put this, this desire in Titus's heart. Titus and Timothy are very similar uh, with attitude and, and desire to see the gospel message and the well-being of people. Um, they, they both have this same, uh, this same drive to, to love on people by serving people. And so as we read last week in, uh, in Philippians 2 about what Paul says about Timothy, he says very similar things about Titus. Um, Titus is with Paul from, from real close to the beginning. Uh, and we see that described in, if, we, if you want, we can turn to Galatians chapter 2. Um, we'll just read a little bit here. Paul says, after 14 years, at the, in, in verse 1, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and a meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. If we jump down to verse 6, I'm sorry, uh, verse 8, for, for God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as a, an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and that the, 
and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So Peter, you've heard the expression, robbing Peter to pay Paul. <laughs> well, that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He said, that's not the, that's not the way that the things are going to work out. We're not going to steal from you to, to give to somebody else. Um, we're not doing it that way. But what we are doing is we're looking for equality between the body of believers so that um, the, the two bodies of believers so that um, there's not suffering and there's not accumulation, uh, you know, and it's not imbalanced. It's a, it's a picture of giving. And so at, even at this point, the Apostle Paul says, um, that his desire all along from, from the time of his conversion is to make sure, because Paul already understands that there is uh, famine in Jerusalem. It's been prophesied by Agabus, is that correct? I think in Acts, um, he, he prophesies about a famine that's going to come to Jerusalem. And, uh, and so there's already this, this desire to, to make sure that the, that the needs of the people in Jerusalem are met. And so um, Paul's already got this mentality and this attitude. And the unique picture that I think, just kind of a side note on this whole thing, is that, you know, we've, there's been a couple of times where we've talked about circumcision in the past, and the, um, they have an understanding of circumcision. But in Galatians 2, if you read the whole chapter, it says that Titus was uncircumcised, uh, but Timothy was circumcised. And... and uh, the picture there is that the gospel message goes out the same. To, no matter what your background is, no matter what your heritage is, no matter what your, your status is in, in, social, uh, in, the, in the social picture of things. And <clears throat> in, in Galatians 2, they, they describe that, that Titus is left uncircumcised on purpose, or he chose not to be circumcised, and they stuck with the same message. And they pushed the same message so that people would see Paul and they would be able to see Titus and they would be able to see Timothy and they would be able to see other Jews that are following Christ and they would be able to go, wow, they're all doing the same things. They're all responding the same way. They're all pushing the same agenda and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified and they're all saved by grace the same way. And so it doesn't really make any difference. And so there's a clear picture there um, that the gospel message goes to both Jews and to Gentiles. Uh, and they can both serve together um, as followers of Christ under, under God's leadership. And so uh, am I going too fast? Are you guys catching everything? You guys are awful quiet today. <laughs> are you as tired as I am today? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> have you heard that? Have you heard that expression before? Well, because Paul is saying, if we go back to Second Corinthians, uh, chapter eight, verses thirteen through fifteen. Actually, back, let's back up to verse ten. He says, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to give, to do so. 
Now finish the work that your eager willingness uh, that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Okay? The completion is according to your means. And it's also in accordance with obedience to God. So verse 12, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Okay? Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equal, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Um, the goal is equality. And again, he say, he goes back to Exodus. Um, I forgot what chapter it was, but anyway, he goes back to the wilderness. Yeah, Exodus 16. And so he's not saying, "I'm coming to take away from you to take it to Jerusalem." Uh, I'm coming to accept whatever God has laid on your heart to give. And the gift will be acceptable if your desire to be faithful and to be willing to give is what it should be. And so again, he, I, I continue to go back to the Macedonian churches. Their willingness and their desire to give more to Paul was out of the grace that God had given and what God had laid on their hearts to give. And so Paul was able to use that as an example, but he's not saying that's not the, the absolute command. He said that's the example to look at in generosity, but he's saying I'm not commanding you to do that because God may be telling you something different. So God says whatever he has apportioned you to give to make it so that they are living more like how you are materially. And, and the understanding is the message of the gospel came through the Jews. You, you owe them something. You know, and he does tell them that, but he's not commanding them, well, you've got too much. Um, come on, fork it up. He's not saying that. He's saying whatever God says for you to give, just give it. And give it cheerfully. And, and have it ready when I come so that I don't have to come and say, okay, are you ready to give? And people are going, oh, man, I forgot he was coming today. I forgot today was the day we're supposed to give for Bibles. <laughs> right, Judy? <laughs> she reminded me this morning. I already had mine set aside. Thank you, though. <laughs> but uh, what's that? What is, what is that? Tithes. Yeah, I know. I know what that is. <laughs> I've had, I'll tell you what, I've had so many different perspective, perspectives of that, and I'll answer that question as soon as I take care of Larry here. Hold on. Yeah, and I'm also, I'm, I'm cautious to say that because by nature my heart is selfish. So what Paul is saying, yes. Right. 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 And that's why he's saying it's your willingness to give. Because Jesus is looking at that woman who gave two coins and said she gave everything she had. She gave more than any of you guys. You know? And because at one point, Peter says, well, we left our homes and we left our families and we, you know, we did this and this and this. You know? And, and that is a noble thing because he did it out of desire to serve Jesus. But at the same time, if he's going to go, well, look at me. 
Jesus says, you've received your reward. Congratulations. You don't want what I have to give you. And so Paul is describing the same thing. He said, he's saying it's the willingness to give. And you pray about it. You talk to the Lord about it. And you, you know, with your, you know, in my case, it would be with my wife. Um, and talk about it. If, if, I, if I suddenly feel that God's laid it on my heart that we need to give more um, on a regular basis, I'm not going to do that without talking to her. Now, there's times, you know, I come in on Sunday morning, I, I feel, okay, the Lord's laid on my heart to do this one time today. Boom, I just do it. And sometimes God does the same with her. Um, and and she'll, the Lord laid it on my heart to help this person or do this or do that, and she does it. And I champion that. I, well, awesome. Um, but <clears throat> he's, he's saying here, whatever God you have you have determined in your in your and again i'm careful to use the word heart but but it's in obedience to what the lord has dealt with that person on so when you ask about tithing tithing was given as an old testament command okay <clears throat> for me personally my personal conviction is that i kind of i i kind of feel like god has showed me dave set that up as a minimum standard in your life but when I command you to give more, give more. And don't worry about what the, the tithe. And not, not don't worry about it as in don't give it, but give, the, give that and in addition to. And so, <coughs> there, what's that? <coughs> yeah, because in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, every time you come together. Okay, so I look at that and I say, every time I receive a paycheck or every time I have a salary. Because some people are paid bi-weekly, some are paid weekly, some are paid monthly, every four weeks, whatever. My conviction is, is every time I receive from wherever, whatever, I, you know, whatever I've been given, uh, that's, that's, I need to set it aside right then, right off the top. And, uh, um, and take that, and people will go back and forth, well, do you, do you tithe off your you're gross, you don't tithe off your net. If you want to have that argument with me, I say, what do you want to, how much grace do you want? You know? <laughs> so, I, and this is where, you know, Paul is saying, whatever you decide to give the, out of the willingness of your heart, um, that's what he is asking for. Yes. What's that? I agree with that statement too. In this particular case, the Jews, the, the churches in Jerusalem, he's, he's referring to them as God's people in Jerusalem. They're the ones that are suffering at this time. So when you say that, if you go back to Matthew, um, I forget where it's at, so it's going to take me just a moment to find it. Uh, Matthew 25. And we'll just read through this story and then we'll, we'll stop right here. Um, in verse, start in verse 31. 
He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit at his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from uh, one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you, uh, for since you, for you since the creation of the world. Sorry about that. Let me start that again. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of my uh, one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For, when I, for I was hungry, <clears throat> and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Uh, then they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So who he's describing here is the Jews in the tribulation. And he's talking about the people who step out to make sure that the Jews are helped get to the, get to the wilderness when the abomination that causes desolation is set up into the holy place. And so when you say, should we be helping the Jews today? I believe that's an that's a on-spot example of what we should be doing. So we should be evangelizing. We should be giving to the storehouse. Um, I, to answer the question, should I personally be giving to the Jews or should I be giving to my church and encouraging the church as a body to be giving to the Jews? I'm not sure what the right answer specifically is that, to that. I say yes to both. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, that's true. Um, I know, you know that some people in our church have given to different ministries that do minister to Jews specifically. Um, uh, and it's definitely something that is well worth investigating. And if the desire is there to do what God tells us to do, I believe that when that willingness, just like what Paul's talking about with the Corinthians, when that willingness is there to serve God in that way, the provision will be there when it's time. Well, some people just don't want to, even though they're not 
Well, you're, you've, you, not knowing it probably, you've started right now. And that right place would be right here. Um, so, you know, you, you said that you've heard that, or you've given to some, or? Okay. So there you go. Right. Right. So just have that conversation one day. Um, just say, you know what? Uh, I feel like the Lord's leading me to, to, to give. Help me find a legitimate organization that is going to give. Are you? <laughs> you better be careful because I'm, I'm about to start recruiting people right now. <laughs> That is true. I mean, we can only do so much, but the, but the fact that that is on your heart means that we should be doing it. <laughs> so yeah, so, so God, doesn't, God doesn't work with what we already have. He says, I'm going to provide it here. You need to start preparing for it now. And so what you're doing, you're, act, you're actually spurring you're, you're the Macedonian church to the Corinthian guy over here going, no, no, no. I'm saying the picture is Paul takes and he, he holds up the Macedonian church and he says, wow, look at, man, how they're giving. Their heart is into it. Their, their desire to see the gospel go forward is so, so intense. And, and so what you're saying is you're asking me questions that I'm not doing. You're asking me questions that I need to be asking as well. And so you're spurring me to do what you're saying that you want to do. Do you understand what I mean? Okay. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there are Jews in America that need help as well um, that, are, that are spreading the gospel to other Jews in the United States just as well. So, yeah, get together, talk about those things. Uh, and if you uncover things that we can be doing as a body of believers, bring it to the table. Yes, you had a, a comment or a question? Yeah, are, we, are we talking like Jews that go to like synagogue or Jews that We're talking about Messianic Jews, so yeah, Christian Jews. Um, because right now, if you go over to the Middle East, they're probably some of the most oppressed people in the world. Right. Okay? Um, and so yeah, giving to help them. And to help them spread the gospel message to their own people as well. 